when the mughals were ruling in india there were three other formidable muslim empires in asia first the ottoman empire second the safavid empire third the uzbek empire all of them were major entities and major players in the international political field the mughals being the masters of a vast tract that stretched well into central asia had no choice but to maintain diplomatic contacts with these three major states and it is to one aspect of this interrelationship between the different states that we shall discuss here first let us have a cursory glance at the three major empires except the mughals that we had talked just now the safavid empire was launched by shah ismail in the early years of 16th century and it controlled the iranian plateau the uzbeks the uzbek empire they were the traditional enemies of the mughals although the mughals and the uzbeks belonged to the same racial stock and spoke the same language chaghdai turkish yet they were of different tribal groups and there was a history between them of a fierce contest fierce rivalry over the possession of transoxiana central asia and the fabled cities of samarkand and bukhara and then there was the ottoman empire in west asia that was hands down the most powerful political player in that part of the world ottoman empire started under usman and then in the 15th century it entered into its most magnificent phase sultan mehmed ii captured constantinople and made the eastern mediterranean sea a turkish lake and then in the 16th century came selim the green and suleiman the magnificent under whose reigns the ottoman power reached its zenith selim captured egypt and syria and after that he was conferred by the effect caliph at cairo with the title of sultan e islam and sultan e rum and the sharifs of makkah and medina declared selim the green to be the overlord of the queen holy cities of makkah and medina so this was the context in which the moguls found themselves and this was the framework in which they played their part in the international politics coming back to the relationship between the moguls and the uzbeks we have already said that it was far from cordial although both were sunnis the moguls were too broad minded to take into consideration narrow sectarian differences and such other prejudices therefore it was but natural for them for the moguls to get closer to the safavids who also happened to be dreaded enemies of the uzbeks so therefore we find in the beginning of the 16th century shah ismail and babur were getting close over the uzbek question and it was with the help of shah ismail that babur could manage although briefly to recover samarkand from the uzbek hands same thing happened with humayun after being ousted from his indian dominions by the afghan interloper 
Sheikh Shah Suri, Humayun had to seek refuge at the court of the Safavid king, Shah Tahmas, and with help coming from Iran, he could manage to regain India, his Indian empire. Now everything seems so good with the Mughals and the Safavids, but there was only one bone of contention between these two empires, and that was the fort of Kandahar. Kandahar in southern Afghanistan was extremely vital for the interests of the Mughals. But we would come to that later on. First, let us dwell on the rivalries and the compromises that happened over the centuries between the Mughals and the Safavids over the issue of the Kandahar fort. Kandahar had been ruled by Timurids, descendants of Timur since centuries actually. In the beginning of the 16th century, we find that it was in the hands of the Timuri ruler of Herat. And then we see that in 1507, Babur briefly captured it, but could not hold on to it for any substantial period of time. He lost it within a year. After that, it passed into the Uzbek hands. And then when in 1510, Shaibani Khan suffered a severe defeat at the hands of the Safavids, the Safavid monarch captured Kandahar too. Thereafter, for well nigh half a century, it was held by local governors who shifted their allegiance and loyalty as it best suited their convenience to either the Mughals or the Safavids. After Shah Ismail's devastating defeat at the hands of Salim the Green, at the battlefield of Chaljiran, we also find that Babur took temporary possession of Kandahar sometime around 1522. Right. Then, the political stage shifts few years after when Humayun sought refuge at the court of Shah Tahmas. Shah Tahmas was willing to help Humayun against his refractory brothers and the Afghan interloper Sheikh Shah Suri. Provided Humayun agreed to return Kandahar to the Persian king, Humayun had absolutely no option but to conquer. But we find that even after reconquering Kandahar, Humayun did not show much eagerness to give it back to the Persian king as was originally promised. In fact, he made it a base of his operations against his half brother Kamran, who was stationed at Kabul. After Humayun's death. Taking advantage of Akbar's minority, Shah Tahmas found no difficulty to retake Kandahar. Akbar kept quiet; he did not say a word. Kandahar remained in the hands of the Persians for well nigh half a century, from 1556 to 1595. During that time, the Persian envoys who reached the Mughal court were often treated. In a very cold manner by Jalaluddin Muhammad Akbar. Of course, there was no great affinity towards the Uzbek king Abdullah Khan either. But the coldness towards the Persian envoys was conspicuous, and it is quite probable that the reason behind this cold behavior, this attitude, was Akbar's grief at the loss of Kandahar. So. In 1586, we find Akbar shifting to Lahore to watch over closely the political developments happening in the northwest. 
and there was a flurry of correspondence between him and Abdullah Khan Uzbek over multifarious issues and many a time Abdullah raised the issue of a joint invasion of Iran with the Mughals coming from India and he coming from Turan. But Akbar never gave it any weightage and always dismissed it. Now, after the conquest of Sindh and Baluchistan by the Mughal arms, the importance of Kandahar increased manifold because Kandahar was a linchpin in the movement of men and goods as it came from Central Asia to Multan and from Multan it was carried to Indus to the seaports and from there it went to different parts of the world. So for a king like Akbar whose primary attention was to foster trade and prosperity in his country, the conquest of Kandahar became very very important indeed. The Kandahar at that point was held by Mirzas related to the Mughal family and Abdullah Khan was undertaking certain nefarious activities which came to Akbar's attention. What Abdullah Khan was doing was that he was trying to seduce the Mirzas and take possession of Kandahar. Already he had taken over all the Timurid strongholds in Central Asia. Balkan and Badakhshan were taken over in the 1580s and the former ruler of Badakhshan Mirza Suleiman and his grandson Mirza Shahrukh had to take refuge at Akbar's court. Akbar was quick to rise to the occasion. He wasted no time and directed Abdur Rahim Khane Khana, the legendary Khane Khana, to move towards Kandahar and anyhow get the fort of Kandahar for the Mughals. This was duly done in 1595 when the Mirzas defected to the Mughal side. As a retaliatory measure, the Mughals routed the Uzbeks in a running battle in the nearby cities of Zamindawar and Gamsi. Abdullah Khan Uzbek's pride was hurt and he realized in full measure the extent of Jalaluddin Muhammad Akbar's power. After getting hold of Kandahar, soon after Akbar heard the news that Abdullah had died and he moved towards Agra after a long span of 12 years. By that time, Persia had recovered. The chaos that was happening came to an end and under the able rulership leadership of Shah Abbas, the Persians recovered Khurasan from the Uzbeks and after that, an envoy was sent to Akbar's court informing him that all the lost territories of the Safavids was regained and only Kandahar was remaining, which was hoped that Akbar would surrender to the Persians in no time. Nothing of that sort ever happened. Akbar was far from ready to give away Kandahar, which he had occupied after so long a wait. When Prince Salim revolted and there was confusion and consternation throughout the Mughal Empire, taking advantage of it, Shah Abbas launched two attacks on Kandahar. Both of them failed miserably. The Mughal arm was too strong to be defeated by any foreign invader whatsoever. And then, uh, shortly after Akbar's death, there was a prolonged siege of Kandahar. But again, it ended in a fiasco. The Persians could test no success. The Mughals were just too strong to be dislodged so easily. Shah Abbas realized the time was not ripe for his actions. So what happened next was that Shah Abbas resorted to diplomacy. 
a long period of very cordial Indo-Persian relationships commenced. In 1611, the first out of many embassies reached Jahangir's court from Shah Abbas's court and that contained valuable presents and messages of friendship, concord, affection and Jahangir was, Jahangir was touched by this impression and he sent a written embassy under Khan Alam, a Chagdai nobleman whose family had served Timur, the Timurids ever since the time of Timur. The embassy of Khan Alam when it reached Persia was accorded an even grander reception by the Shah of Persia. At Kazwin, all the big nobles of the empire came out on their foot and welcomed the Indian envoy and all the, and all the presents that Jahangir had sent for his brother, the Shah of Persia, were taken with great delight. And they, this included a number, large number of Indian animals and the keepers and various rarities of the great land of Hindustan. So, a very con amiable and friendly type of atmosphere prevailed between India and Iran for a good section of Jahangir's reign, at least for a decade. And the result of that was that international trade got boost. Indian traders, Multanis mostly, and who were of course Hindus and Jains, they settled down in Persia in many cities like Gilan, Tabriz, Isfahan, Kazwin, etc. etc. And they were accorded full protection and religious protection from the king of Persia. We have it from the testimony of an English traveller, Friar, that at the capital city of Isfahan, there were at least 10,000 Hindus residing during the time of Shah Abbas. They had their own temple, they had their own priests, and where they worshipped the gods and performed pujas and fire sacrifice and all that. And every bit of religious tolerance was exhibited by the Shah. The same, however, could not be said of the Sunnis, who were persecuted ruthlessly by the Shiistic affiliation of Persia. Now, this good sense this sense of peace and prosperity and friendliness, everything like that continued till 1620. After that, a new chapter in Indo-Persian relationship opened and we would come to that in the next episode. Hope you liked our work and stay tuned for the next episode which would come out very shortly. Thank you.